Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashoms in Johannesburg, South Africa and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we look ahead to the football action in 2018, where the FIFA World Cup is the main attraction. We speak to Daniel Amakachi, who's played for Nigeria in two World Cups and coached the Super Eagles at two editions of the tournament. Amakachi is extremely optimistic about Africa's chances this time around. Yes, for me, I say five African countries in the second round, three in the quarterfinals, two in the semifinals and one in the final. Also, we look ahead to the knockout stage of the UEFA Champions League, which begins next month. We catch up on the latest in the English Premier League after a very busy couple of weeks. And Stuart profiles the English Premier League's only black manager, Brighton's Chris Hewton. He was only the second black player to play for Tottenham. He was the first black player to play for the Republic of Ireland and is now the only black manager in the Premier League. Very interesting this from Stuart coming up later. So a happy new year to you, wishing you all the best for 2018 in this brand new year. Uh, The African football action starts pretty much straight away this year with the African Nations Championship, the CHAN, in Morocco running from the 13th of January to the 4th of February. This the Continental Championship where only home-based players can take part and 16 teams are in it. Also another African football highlight this year, the Women's Africa Cup of Nations in Ghana. That's in November. The qualifiers begin next month. And towards the end of the year, from September to November, we have the latest qualifiers for the 2019 Men's Africa Cup of Nations. And of course, the big one this year is the FIFA World Cup in Russia. It runs from the 14th of June to the 15th of July. 32 teams taking part, five from Africa. That's Nigeria, Senegal, Egypt, Morocco and Tunisia. We're hoping that maybe this time an African team can make history by going beyond the quarterfinals and surpass the achievement of getting to the quarterfinals, which has been recorded by Cameroon in 1990, Senegal in 2002 and Ghana in 2010. Well, Planet Sport Football Africa's Oloeshina Okaleji has been speaking to Daniel Amakachi, who's played for Nigeria in two World Cups and coached Nigeria at two editions of the tournament. Amakachi scored in Nigeria's first game at the World Cup finals, their 3-0 win over Bulgaria back in 1994. He also scored in the final of the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta, where Nigeria won men's football gold, beating Argentina in the final. Nicknamed the Bull, Amakachi's clubs included Everton in the English Premier League and Besiktas in Turkey. Currently, he's manager of a team in Finland's second tier called JS Hercules. He also works as a football analyst on TV. Well, Oluwashina first asked Amakachi for his thoughts on the African team's chances at the World Cup this year, starting with Nigeria. I played in two World Cups, coaching two World Cups. You know, probably I'm the only coach that I've played in two and coaching two. You know, but that, that's a good CV to have. But you know, African countries, I think we just have to be us. You know, but in in a positive way. You know, Nigeria for one. 
you know, we have all the talents that we have to show the world comes to Russia because we have a lot of diaspora players who have the fundamentals of, of, of football, the discipline of football, the tactical know-how of the game. You know, we, we're having about 80 plus percent of players coming from diasporas who are bringing that change in the, in the Nigerian team. And of course, our captain, Mikel Obi, who will will definitely bring that experience when it comes you know you know in, into that team the egyptian pharaohs haven't been there like like forever since the, in the in the 90s but you know at the same time you know they a team that we do seen their qualification too they they did very very well you know the moroccans with uh Reina, sound team you know uh the senegalese have a top striker who's really really informed you know, and they have a lot of you know play, players playing at West Ham. You know, can can you take uh, who has been doing very very well? You know, so they have a, they have a very very good team. Do we have chances of going to the next round? Yes, for me I say five African countries in the second round, three in the quarterfinals, two in the semifinals, and one in the final. And uh, you know we just have to wait and re-interview me after the <laughs> after the World Cup come Russia and we'll see what happens. But I have I have strong feeling, you know, for an African country here in Russia. The last World Cup was marred by two African countries flying money to the World Cup to sort out bonus issues and all of that. You've experienced it as a player, you've seen it as a coach. Africa needs to do better than that. No, definitely. Definitely, no doubt about that. That's the, all the negative. That's why I said we stay on the positive angle of it. That's the negative angle of it. And when it comes, especially for, for my country now, Nigeria, where the election, the World Cup year is an election year, you know, the changing of the presidential, you know, uh, FHM, and, and it always cause confusion in the team and I'm, I'm very happy to see that the the NFF sat down with the team and they, you know print out the blueprint and this is how the payment will go hopefully it stays that way you know but when you get to the World Cup there's always hiccups some people will think okay they are not going they need their money some will think after the World Cup they won't get their money and instigation will be going on around the camp and they will you know Seeing okay, ah, if we don't get out of this group now, maybe our money won't come. So we have to fight for it to come, and that's a negative angle of it that we don't want to see. Not only for Nigeria, Senegal is a country that can do it. Only the North Africans that we don't see see them doing all that, you know, stupidity when it comes to major tournament. And hopefully, you know, we'll see, you know, a, a new refined African country and see them focusing on only football and getting the best result for the continent. How is life now for you as an ex-player? You are one of the most wanted pundits in a good way. Everyone wants you on, on board. And of course, um, life as a, as a technical director, as a Finnish club, I mean, life is good for Dan Amokachi. No, definitely. You are when, you know, when the good Lord is alive, you know, everything goes the way he plans. And that's just the way, you know. I'm, I'm humble, you know, to be wanted by people. You know, I'm humble to, you know, to learn about the trade of being in front of TV, in front of camera, in front, you know, the know-how about football, to analyze football and all that. And that's that just the way it is. I, I'm somebody that I love to learn every day. You know, we, we, we got to pay bills. And if you just sit back and you don't learn a lot of things, you know, you don't, you, you know you're struggling one way or the other. I, I stopped playing football at the age of 28. You know, that, that's at my peak. That's not the year that a footballer should stop playing. So, and if, if, if the good Lord wasn't with me and gave me the grace, you know, to move forward, then probably I'll be I'll be struggling right now and I won't be, you know, in sitting in front of you today because that's just the way life is and we've seen how a lot of my colleagues, a lot of you know, players before me, not only in Nigeria and the continent and around the world that are struggling. So it's a grace from heaven to you know, to have that in you to move forward and try to find other ways to uh, propel yourself. 
It's amazing. Every time you talk, you mention God. You're, you're Christian. You talk so much about God. What's your relationship with God like? And what's, what are those favorite lines? As a footballer, I see some of them write, the Lord is my shepherd on their boots and all of those things. What are your own ways of doing things, with communicating with God? You know, God loves me a lot. That's the truth of it. Because what I went through at that age of 28 that I stopped playing, I think if uh, if it was somebody else, maybe you'll have committed suicide or... You know, uh, would have gone run mad on, on 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 the street. But you know, we thank God for His grace. You know that He saw me through. You know, He saw me through that dark phases, and I, you know, I made me to realize that He's alive. You know, and that's why I tell people every day. You know, as far as we wake up every day, you know, it's a grace on its own. That's a miracle, because you sleep in the night, you're dead. You're a dead man. He gives you that life again in the morning and you see the world i think that's that's huge do we see miracle every day of course we see miracle miracle every day you just waking up is a miracle and then you pray for the day to wait to go a lot of obstacles are flying left right and center we don't see it only god sees it and then he you know he sought it out you know sought it out for us you know he loves me more than i love him and i know he loves anybody else that open his heart to him Wow, <laughs> that's a very strong one. Quickly, you t- you you have two um, twin sons who are actually footballers. Like you, I mean, they are trying to follow in your footsteps. Tell us a bit more about them. I mean, we know they were Besiktas at one point. We heard they were in Everton as well. Yeah, they were. They they started their trade, you know, growing up because they were schooling in Liverpool and then uh, you know f- football in England. You know how it is. You don't uh, you don't get enough time if you're a student. Then we have to fly them to America to go to school in America and then where they combine sport and education together. And after that, you know. They signed a year contract with uh, with the under 19s uh, at Besiktas, and you know apparently right now they're back in Finland trying to sort out their permit and stuff. The under permit is taking forever, but you know God is in control, and when He comes out, definitely we'll see. But you know the good thing about it, they are passionate about football and they have the skills, the ability to do it. They are more skill-wise. I think you know I compare them to JJ Okocha. I don't have skills. JJ have all those skills. And, you know that mentality of you know you know this generation that they love to do a lot of tricky stuff with the ball. You know both of them they have it, and we just pray. It's our prayers for fathers to see our children, you know, do better than what we have achieved. You know the only thing now that is left for them is for them to have a platform to uh, to propel in life. Finally, to the millions of Africans listening on this show right now, if there's one thing you'll be sure by the end of the World Cup in Russia, Daniel Amokachi will stand and say, I said so. What would that be? What do you think? <laughs> what is one thing that is guaranteed at the World Cup for you? I mean, only God can guarantee anything, but for you, what do you think? Like I did say earlier, five teams going to the second round, three teams going to the quarterfinals, two teams going to the semifinal, and one team getting to the final, and that's Nigeria. Reminder, Morocco are in the same group with Spain and Portugal. They are in the same group, but I've picked Portugal and, and uh, Morocco going through. Because when you look at the Portuguese and the Spaniards and the Moroccans, they play the same kind of football. And with what I see René doing with his team, I see Morocco getting through. Hope to have this conversation with you after the World Cup. Definitely. You can quote me on that. The good Lord is in control and he will see Africa through. That is Daniel Amakachi speaking to Oluwashina Okaleji. Amakachi played for Nigeria in two World Cups and coached them at two editions of the World Cup as well. Former player of Everton and Besiktas and managing a team in Finland second tier right now, a team called JS Hercules. Well, Solomon Amakachi extremely optimistic there with his World Cup predictions for Africa. What do you make of that? Steve, I definitely feel Amokachi is very optimistic with uh, Africa's five teams going to Russia World Cup 2018. 
But for me, I still feel having four in the quarterfinal and two in the semifinal and one in the final, which is Nigeria, according to his prediction, is going to be a very big thing to ask for because a lot of these African teams, uh, sometimes the preparation is not right and sometimes also you get to the World Cup and you don't have a lot of experience. Uh, Would they be able to come on board and perform well at that level, that's one big question. And I and I feel maybe one or two teams may do that, but the other teams may not be able to do that. And for me, that's where I have a, a big question mark around it. But definitely, I see one or two African teams in the quarterfinals. But from then onwards, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to be able to make it to the semifinals. Yes, and uh, Amakachi highlighted an important point there, that better organisation will go a long way for Africa. Yes, very important point Daniel Amokachi highlighted. Better organisation has been a big, big problem for African teams, especially the teams from West Africa. The North African teams are, are kind of like organised almost to a European level. Uh, so they wouldn't experience that sort of a problem. But Nigeria has been a, a regular team that experienced problems from administrative problems to organisation, to training camps, to uh, bonuses, of match bonuses. Uh, before the World Cup, obviously, you need to to be able to play the right teams, play some friendlies that would give you a perspective of your opponents in your group, prepare well, make sure the players are well taken care of, the coach is well taken care of. And I feel that would definitely go a long way in really dealing with uh, some of the organizational lapses and the flaws that we've experienced over and over again. It's about time that we get over that huddle because as soon as we do that, that would go a long way in helping African teams to perform very, very well and to give in their best because they know that behind the scene there is no any sort of issues that they need to deal with. Yes, sure. And let's hope that preparations will be trouble-free for the African teams at this year's World Cup. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Once you've downloaded, you can listen to the show anytime on the app and access past programmes too in our archive. You can also listen to the show on our website, that's planetsportfootballafrica.com. There's pictures of the whole team there in case you're wondering what we all look like. That's planetsportfootballafrica.com. And our Twitter handle is at planetsportfa. This week on social media, we're asking, what do you think of the CAF Awards? The 2017 Confederation of African Football Awards, including the African Footballer of the Year, were held on Thursday night, just after we put this week's show together. So we'll talk about the awards on next week's show, and you can tell us what you think. Do you think the awards were fair? You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Tell us what you think about the African Footballer of the Year award and all of the other CAF awards for 2017. Right then, let's catch up now with the English Premier League. Lots happening over the Christmas and New Year holiday period. And uh, Stuart, Manchester City's winning run finally came to an end. Um, Yes, Steve. Manchester City were held to a draw by Roy Hodgson's Crystal Palace, but it proved to be a temporary blip 
as City then beat Watford 3-1 to re-establish a 15-point lead at the top of the table. And in fact, City are in a better position coming out of the holiday period than going into it because their nearest rivals, Manchester United, could only win one of their last four games, uh, being held to a draw three times. So the title is certainly City's to lose, and with none of Manchester United, Chelsea, Liverpool, Tottenham or Arsenal showing any consistent form, it's hard to see any other outcome. In fact, Steve, in 1970, Everton were crowned champions of the top division of English football on the 2nd of April, and people are speculating that Manchester City could actually win the title in March if they continue to play as they are. Right, and uh, what else grabbed your attention, Stuart? Well, the bottom of the table is developing into a real dogfight. Now, Swansea City had a great win away to Watford with two late goals started by Jordan Ayew of Ghana. But despite that, Swansea remain bottom of the table. They're equal in points with West Brom, who have not won any of their last 20 games. Southampton have dropped into the bottom four with a run of poor results. And while Watford are 10th, they have only won one of their last nine games. And in fact, twice recently, they have been leading 1-0 with five minutes to go against Swansea and Crystal Palace and finished up losing 2-1. And even though Watford, as I say, are mid-table, they're actually only five points clear of relegation. And that means to me that there are probably 11 clubs looking over their shoulders, worrying about the drop. Now, there's been a fascinating run of late goals, Steve, over the Christmas holidays. Now, we had West Ham beating West Brom with Andy Carroll scoring in the 94th minute. Similarly, Liverpool beat Burnley with a goal in the 94th. Swansea beating Watford with goals in the 86th and 90th. And then poor old Arsenal conceded a dodgy 89th minute penalty goal against West Brom to finish up drawing a game they should have won. But then again, in their next game, Arsenal got a draw with Chelsea, scoring two minutes into stoppage time. And if you look at Manchester United's last five games, three of those have been decided by late goals. Two have gone against United and one for them. We can all remember the days when United used to win so many games late in stoppage time, or what we used to call Fergie time. Now, referees have been very much in the news in the last week. First of all, we had John Moss being heavily criticised for awarding a penalty to Crystal Palace when there seemed to be very little contact between Raheem Sterling on Wilfred Zaha. And then a couple of days later, most people felt that Mike Dean was wrong to award a penalty for handball against Arsenal's Callum Chambers against West Brom, and that enabled West Brom to get a draw. But in the next game, Chelsea got a dubious penalty against Arsenal, and Wenger described the decision as farcical. Now, I think that there is a kind of crisis on refereeing, and I have great sympathy with Wenger because, you know, that's four points, arguably, his team have lost in the last two games. And that could be the difference between getting into the Champions League and not getting into the Champions League. And just carrying on this theme, Tottenham beats Swansea 2-0. 
The first goal was scored by Sorrenti, ironically a former Swansea player, but he was clearly in an offside position. And as the Spurs' second goal only came in the last minute, you could argue that the official's error had a massive impact on the game. Incidentally, video assistant referees are being introduced on a trial basis in the FA Cup in the next week. But they have been advised that there are only three situations that they should intervene in. One is goal incidents, two penalties, and thirdly, red cards, plus any issues of mistaken identity. But that means there's no role intended for the video assistant referee in offside decisions. Well, and uh, Stuart, Brighton are a very interesting team uh, back in the English Premier League after a 34-year absence. And their manager, Chris Hewton, is one of very few black managers around. We've talked to this programme from time to time about the lack of black, Asian and ethnic managers and coaches in the Premier League. Chris Hewton at Brighton is, in fact, the only one at the moment And that may seem very strange when one-third of Premier League players are black, Asian or ethnic minority. Hewton's parents are mixed race. His dad, William, is from Ghana. He initially came to London to study. And his mother, Christine, is from Ireland, which is why Hewton played his international football for Ireland. He was only the second black player to play for Tottenham. He was the first black player to play for the Republic of Ireland and is now the only black manager in the Premier League. In a recent article in the Sunday Times of London, he said, I was born in London, therefore I'm from England, but I never felt English. I don't mean I'm anti-English, because I'm not. But as I started working things out, I see myself as a United Nations man. Interestingly, his wife is from British Guiana, in uh, South America, and among his children he has a daughter with an East African name, Isha. Before going into football, his parents convinced him he needed to have a trade, and he became a lift engineer, and he still has that qualification, so I wonder if uh, the lift doesn't work at Brighton and Hove Albion, uh, whether he calls someone in or does it himself. Now, he spent 13 years at Tottenham, winning the FA Cup twice, the UEFA Cup, He played for Ireland in the 1990 World Cup, but he was always interested in doing things beyond football. As a player, he used to organise dances to raise money for local charities and worked particularly with the Sickle Cell Society, which combats blood disorders, particularly affecting Caribbean and black people. In his playing days, he experienced some racism and again told the Sunday Times, I was brought up in a multicultural area with quite a black community and an Asian community, and my school was multicultural. Most of the racism was around playing from away teams, away players. But my parents always told me to rise above it and say, you're better than that. Don't respond to people because they don't deserve a response. The best way to show them that you're better is by being better. He's also aware, but perhaps a little uncomfortable, about being seen as a pioneer for black managers. He says, if that responsibility is on me now, and this issue has been spoken about more, then that's good news. I think there are currently four black and Asian managers in the 92 professional clubs in England. 
The imbalances are growing. There are more and more black and ethnic minority players in the top divisions. So why is this not replicated among the coaching? People want to see the workplace reflecting society, and that should apply to football as well. Great to see Chris Hutton doing what he is doing and being willing to speak up on this important issue. Well, very interesting and big questions there. We'll see if Chris Hutton can keep Brighton up in the English Premier League. And finally, Stuart, the UEFA Champions League knockout stage begins next month with the round of 16 games. And you have to say it's another fascinating draw. Well, yes, Steve, we've reached the halfway stage and is now the knockout. And the makeup of the last 16 is really interesting. There are five teams from England three from Spain, two from Italy, and one each from Germany, Switzerland, Portugal, Turkey, Ukraine and France. Now, it's really an amazing achievement of the Premier League to have five clubs, which is the same, in fact, as Spain and Italy combined, and four more than Germany. Of course, we got an extra team this year because of Manchester United winning the Europa League, But all five clubs have managed to qualify. And if you look at some of the teams that were eliminated in the group stages from Germany, Dortmund and Leipzig, from Spain, Atletico Madrid, from Italy, Napoli. And now the draw has been made and it is the team I read out first will be at home in the first leg. And it's generally thought that being away in the first leg at home in the second, gives you an advantage. So we have got Juventus against Tottenham Hotspur, Basel against Manchester City, Porto against Liverpool, Seville against Manchester United, Real Madrid against Paris Saint-Germain, Shakhtar Donetsk against Roma, Chelsea against Barcelona, and Bayern Munich against Besiktas. Now, all the English clubs are in with a chance, I would say, of going through. Perhaps the most challenging one is Chelsea against Barcelona and equally Juventus against Tottenham will be quite tough but I would be disappointed if we don't have at least three in the quarterfinals and possibly even more. So I reckon there's about 11 Africans who might be involved in the Champions League. At Tottenham we've got Victor Wanyama and Serge Aurier. Wanyama from Kenya, Serge Aurier, the Ivorian. And also Liverpool have got uh, three very influential African players. Joel Matip from Cameroon, who has been really solid in the defensive midfield. And then there are two strikers, Sadio Mane from Senegal, who's got three goals in the Champions League. And Mo Salah from Egypt, who's already got an incredible six Champions League goals this season. Basel have Seri Dia. Porto have Vincent Abubakar of Cameroon, and he's already got five Champions League goals this season. Amazing performance, really. Manchester United, of course, have got Eric Bailly. He's currently injured, but hopefully he may be ready to play. Uh, Real Madrid have got a Moroccan, Ashif Hakimi, and he's already got one Champions League appearance uh, this year. Of course, Chelsea have got Victor Moses. Um, struggling a little bit to hold down a regular place because of the size of the squad this year, but I'd expect to see him involved. Now, Yaya Torre has not really gotten the Premier League side at Manchester City, but the Ivorian did get one Champions League start, so who knows, he may uh, come back there. And uh, finally, Juventus have a Ghanaian player, Quado Asamoah, 
And now he's not played in the Champions League this year, but he has had eight games in Syria A. So I think we can look forward to some Africans having a significant contribution in the Champions League as it goes on. Well, looking forward indeed to the UEFA Champions League knockout games. The final, by the way, is on the 25th of May. Uh, so that's in Europe. Uh, as I was saying earlier on, the African football highlights of this year, the African Nations Championship, the CHAN, uh, running in Morocco from the 13th of January to the 4th of February. Uh, this is the tournament for locally based players. We'll talk more about that on next week's show. Much later on this year, the Women's Africa Cup of Nations finals in Ghana. That's in November, but the qualifiers do start next month. And also the qualifiers for the 2019 Men's Africa Cup of Nations continue and not until September, though. The games that were initially down to be played in March have been postponed. That's to allow Africa's representatives at the World Cup to play friendly matches in March. And in African club football, the initial rounds of the 2018 CAF Champions League and Confederation Cup will be beginning next month. Well, that's it for the show for this week. But on Facebook and WhatsApp, we're asking, what do you think of the CAF Awards? The 2017 Confederation of African Football Awards were held on Thursday night, just after we put this week's show together. So we'll be talking about the awards on the programme next week. You can tell us, what do you think? Were they fair? As the 2017 African Footballer of the Year was named, along with other award winners. You can go onto our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. From me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solomon Ashams in South Africa, and Stuart Weir in the UK. Thanks a lot for listening. Again, all the best for 2018. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.